Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. 2023 and the start of 2024 brought some more key updates in employment law and the world of work, as we've spoken about in recent weeks. And one of the most welcome updates has come in the area of domestic violence leave and support for victim survivors. But how do we navigate this as employers? How do we manage these situations? And how can we make sure we're giving the right support to those affected? Well, to answer these questions and many more, we're delighted to be joined by Neve Murphy, Communications and Training Officer at Amber Women's Refuge here in Kilkenny. Thank you for joining us, Neve. How are you? Hi, Owen. Good to see you again. Good to see you, Mary. Brilliant. Thanks for your time. And as always, as Neve says, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And Neve, it's a pleasure to have you on. We know each other of old, so um, it's um, always a pleasure to to work with you. Brilliant stuff. So let's jump right in, I suppose, Mary. And I might come to yourself first. And I know this has kind of been well documented. It's something we've spoken about previously, which is which is good and that was intentional. But I suppose just for a little bit of a context setter, Mary, what's kind of the latest update around domestic violence leave? What do employers and HR teams need to know from, from an employment law kind of perspective? Again, just a, a quick little overview to set us off. Yeah, well, um, you know, again, we're not going to go into it in, in great detail because it is well documented mm-hmm. and we have covered it before. But uh, I think from a HR perspective, what's important to know is um, that there is now the five days paid um, domestic violence leave um, and you the person who is experiencing or has experienced domestic violence doesn't need necessarily to give notice of time required. However, obviously, it's best practice that people can and, and the policy in effect should, I suppose, shout out or, or make reference to that fact. Um, you don't need a qualifying period to avail of this kind of leave uh, and it is paid at the full rate of pay, which is really one of the most significant and important elements of of this kind of leave. Um, And it can be availed of um, whether or not the person is currently experiencing domestic violence or has in the past. And I suppose the purpose behind that is, um, you know, there may be court dates, there may be doctor's appointments, there may be arrangements um, that people need to make for housing, accommodation, children, all of those kind of things. Um, But the leave doesn't just apply to those who are experiencing domestic violence or have experienced domestic violence. Uh, It is also there for people who are supporting um, those individuals uh, through their journey, whatever that journey might actually be. Um, so that's kind of a whistle stop tour um, 
of what what the main features of it are. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure Neve, who deals with this on a practical and day-to-day basis, can uh, can outline uh, anything that I've missed. But certainly when it comes to the policy development and how you go about including it, I think the terminology, um, the way in which we look at the legislation, how each organisation implements it for themselves uh, is key. Definitely, and kind of a sneak peek ahead to what we're going to chat about actually in this conversation, the nitty-gritty behind crafting policies, making sure it's part of the culture, that kind of stuff. Um, I suppose, Neve, then I'll come to yourself. As Mary said, look, one of the impactful things, and I know we spoke about this previously a few months back when there was kind of worries about whether this would be included or not, and we spoke to women as well actually on this, um, is that kind of pay perspective, Neve. Um, so pay is obviously included in this leave. Thankfully, it has been included. Uh, can we talk about just how impactful that is as a factor in this? Because that was something that was quite key from a, an advocacy kind of perspective, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there was a lot of consultation and a lot of uh, different relevant stakeholders had different viewpoints on this. But um, thankfully, um, the minister um, made the decision. Um, and I think following strong recommendation from um, survivor advocacy groups and um people working in the domestic sexual and gender-based violence service uh, sector like ourselves to go with with full pay. And I think the um, the impact of that can't really be overstated when you look at estimates that, you know, I suppose it's important to firstly state to anyone listening today who's maybe still thinking of domestic abuse as looking at it solely through the prism of physical violence is to to say to them to to you know we're, we're very much looking beyond that um that abuse being a much broader um uh, sphere of behavior and tactics and control really and i suppose abusers will use um any aspect any any part of value anything of value within a victim survivor's life uh, as in, in an effort to to gain and maintain control over them and money is a big part of that so you know estimates would say that but 95% of, of victim survivors um, uh, would be experiencing uh, an element of financial abuse, um, you know, on the lighter end of the scale or on the heavier end of the scale. And on the heavier end of the scale, when you're looking at, you know, victim survivors who are working outside the home, um, you know, you're you're looking at incidences of, um, of you know, real, you know, financial penury often, particularly, as you can imagine, in crisis periods where they're maybe trying to escape an abusive relationship and all the additional costs of that. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're maybe looking at a perpetrator um, at least monitoring and if not abusing um, their, their wages, their salaries and, and all of that. So anyway, for a victim survivor who, um, you know, is, is trying to manage an abusive um, home arrangement, trying to escape an abusive home arrangement, for them to know that, um, you know, they can avail of supports that they need. You were talking, Mary mentioned court dates and medical appointments and stuff like that, all of which have, you know, costs. I mean, you know, the, the, the threshold for legal aid really doesn't come into play when you're working outside the home. So, you know, even just to seek protection order, a solicitor's fee, you know, Kilkenny Carla, you're looking at 600 euros. So, um, you know, it's a very a time of, of, of real difficulty for victim survivors financially. So for the provisions of the Act to allow for full pay, for them to be able to seek um, uh, the supports they need, um, you know, I think is is really significant and is going to ensure that, 
you know, people who who um, who 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 need to avail of domestic violence leave and um, will be, um, you know, slightly less negatively financially impacted than they mm-hmm. would have been previously. Definitely and a huge element of it uh, for all the reasons you, you outlined. You've definitely very, very thankful that it is in there. Um, I suppose this is a question I'll come to both of you for, but I'll, I'll jump straight back to yourself, Neve, if that's all right first, just on this one. So I suppose we said we'd kind of jump kind of deep into the craft and the policies and, and the kind of nitty gritty of how you actually implement this as HR teams, employers, that kind of stuff. So I suppose, Neve, any kind of general tips from yourself on, I suppose, crafting policies, procedures pertaining to domestic violence and domestic violence leave? And I suppose, are there certain key foundations? I know terminology is something we actually spoke about previously to the call. Are there certain kind of key foundations you'd recommend for people to kind of have as their key components? Well, firstly, Owen, um, as you and Mary will be aware, a lot of your listeners will be aware, um, there is no um, legal requirement to um, to have a domestic violence policy. The legal requirement aspect is the administration of, of domestic violence leave. Um, however, I think from an organisational perspective and from an employee perspective, um, you know, the um, development and launching and embedding of a domestic violence policy as part of a wider workplace response, um, you know, um, which encompasses but isn't solely limited to the domestic violence leave aspect. It's really, really important and, and really crucial. And um, I mean, in my own work, um, as you know, part of my role is outreach with um, the corporate community in, in our own jurisdiction here to Kenny Carlo in the southeast. And I know that the companies who have been, um, you know, um, working with us and doing training with us on this issue, you know, they would all following guidance from ourselves and, and guidance from the department, they would have their domestic um, uh, abuse policies in place as part of their workplace response. But there's an awful lot of companies um, who who haven't developed a policy as yet. And I would really, as I'm sure you guys would echo that, um, you know, encourage them while while it's not a statutory requirement, um, encourage them to to um, to develop um, a policy um, and, and not just look at this in terms of solely through, uh, you know, the, the lens of how do we administer domestic violence leave. And there are some excellent uh, resources available out there that the department um, made available. The department contracted our colleagues in Women's Aid to develop um, resources. They're free resources for employers um, and they're available at dv@work.ie. And there's actually a really good comprehensive framework for a domestic violence um, uh, domestic abuse policy. There's a template document available um, on that website, which um, uh, is really comprehensive and uh, can be adapted and amended for specific uh, companies, company sizes, company structures. Um, And I would really recommend that uh, people who haven't to date look at that because, you know, the template is there. It it needs a little bit of work to to make it adaptable to your specific business. But, um, you know, it's free, free, free resource there available for you. And it does allow you to put in place a more comprehensive response both for the the victim survivors who are working within your business. And again, looking at the stats, Owen, um, you know, whether or not, um, you know, people are consciously, employers are consciously aware of it, you know, you're you're looking at some pretty heavy stats in terms of um, 
people um, being affected by this. So, you know, I, I, I've worked with or I've dealt with a lot of employers locally um, in the southeast who have said, well, you know, this isn't really an issue for our business. But when you actually go through the stats and European data would would tell us that, um, you know, throughout the lifetime of an employee, one in three of them will experience some element of um, of domestic abuse um, in, throughout their working life. So whether you're consciously aware of it or not, um, you know, domestic abuse is in your organisation. You will have victim survivors working for you and with you. You may have perpetrators working for you and with you, which is a whole other conversation. Um, so uh, it is an issue. And I think a policy is the first port of call that you would go to to ensure that um, both your legal but also your duty of care um, um, uh, obligations are, are met as an employer. And I don't know what what yourself and Mary might have a perspective on that, about how important a policy policy on this issue would be. Yeah, definitely. I suppose same question to yourself, Mary, again. I think a lot of this from what Neve was saying is kind of understanding the context and everything that goes with it. And there's that terminology aspect as well, as we spoke about previously to this call, as we always chat to our guests. Neve even alluded to the fact that term victim survivors, which is different to, to what we would have, I suppose, written in the notes and that kind of stuff. So there is a lot of context to be understood here, Mary, isn't it? But going beyond that, beyond what's written on the page, really embedding it. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, domestic abuse and domestic violence is, is one of those areas that's often not talked about. That is taboo. Um, and as Neve rightly says, you know, there there are both victim survivors and perpetrators within the workplace. And so your policy, from my perspective, is your starting point um, in terms of, you know, opening up real and genuine conversations about this. And as we always say here, a policy is one thing. It's the backbone and the basis of the relationship between you and the employee um, so that the employee understands the organization's position point on uh, something so sensitive such as this topic. Um, And In order for a policy to live and breathe, and we talk an awful lot about living and breathing policies, they have to be backed up by open and genuine conversations in the workplace. They have to be backed up by uh, training of managers who are responsible in the first point of contact for um, the administration of that leave. Um, And, you know, the most likely person that will be approached within an organization or the person who might first notice that there's a, a an issue or a problem for somebody. Um, and then your wider awareness campaigns within your organization. There's a lot to be done in this area other than just simply facilitate time, paid time out. And um, you also have to think about the uh, GDPR elements, privacy, uh, where this information will be stored and how, who will have access to it. Um, so from a policy development perspective, um, there are a lot of things to be considered. I love free resources and I think we have looked at the, the resources out there that are on offer and they are fantastic. But again, I always 
say to people, it's important when you look at implementing any policy in your organization that it is customized to your particular business, that you have actually thought through the steps and you understand that, okay, this is what is to happen in our organization um, when somebody is experiencing um, this situation in their lives. And I think it's so important as well, um, you know, that the terminology is correct. Um, and and Neve has rightly pointed out to us at the start of of this recording, um, you know the way in which uh, victim survivors are referred to now versus how we may have been talking about uh, people prior to this uh, important piece of legislation coming into effect. So from a policy development perspective, um, while there's no statutory requirement to have. Uh, that policy in place. And actually, in reality, there's no statutory requirement to have loads of policies in place, but yet we do. So uh, from our perspective, um, we're very much uh, advocates of, you know, documenting um, the how and the why and the where and and what needs to be done for for every policy. And we will always be advocating that um, for our clients and, and for our audience. Definitely. And Eve, one word that, that Mary mentioned there that really jumped out to me, and I think it's an important one for this discussion, is the word conversations. Um, I suppose, Neve, these are tricky, sensitive discussions, conversations, and challenges that kind of need to be handled very carefully every step of the way, aren't they, by maybe line managers, HR teams. So I suppose just on that whole manager training, um, soft skills, I suppose is the wrong term to put it, but that conversational side of things, Neve, where the first point of call We'll have to have those sensitive chats. How important is the the correct training, the correct, I suppose, confidence to be able to do that and manage it effectively? Uh, it's essential, Owen. Um, you know, and and there will be you know very experienced, proficient HR professionals listening to this, um, who will be you know used to dealing with very sensitive and challenging mm-hmm. topics. But as Mary rightly pointed out a few minutes ago, um, you know. It, the issue of domestic abuse uh, still it's it's getting we're getting better about it as a society in Ireland we are speaking about it more more light has been shone on it rightly so but um you know even those experienced proficient HR professionals are going to be extremely nervous um you know with um facilitating uh, a disclosure even if they have concerns and knowing um you know how to open a conversation or in a situation where a co-worker does disclose um, abuse to them, um, you know, really knowing what I can say and what I shouldn't say. So training, I think, is absolutely essential. And it's a little bit worrying um, that the last piece of, of, of research I saw, and I appreciate the legislation, we're in very, very early days, but I, I do worry that, um, you know, perhaps um, the, the the commercial community, the business community, the organisational community in Ireland, you know, is still very behind the curve on this. Um, but, uh, you know, you're looking about 1% of Irish companies have have um, trained their, their, their people managers, their line managers, their HR managers in the context of um, 
the um, domestic violence leave, the guidance would very much be that, you know, it's speaking about designated persons and, and you would know that as HR professionals, that terminology is probably used in many other policies, but that it would be a designated person or persons uh, within an organisation, again, depending on the, the scale and the size and the, the amount of employees as to how many people would be involved in the process. But, um, you know, a designated person be be appointed to um, be the point of contact for um, uh, victim survivors who are co-workers within that organisation. So I think training for them is absolutely essential for the reasons that we were outlining there, the sensitivity, um, uh, uh, the upset um, the complexity of the dynamics of um, of domestic abuse, and also, um, you know, in terms of you know getting supports for themselves, so the designated person has support because you know while there is no requirement on a coworker to um, to disclose details of the abuse they have or are experiencing, and nor should they be 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 asked to disclose that um, level of detail. But, um, you know, there will be situations where, um, you know, a designated person or persons will be hearing about some very distressing uh, situations and content. So um, for them as well to know, um, you know, where their professional boundaries lie in terms of, you know, how they can support that person and where the limits of that support end. Um, I just think training is is absolutely essential. Um, and um, I, I mean, in terms of specialist uh, training on recognizing the signs and responding to, to disclosures of abuse, um, you know, I know that, um, you know, ourselves, we're working with employers in, in the southeast, uh, providing specific training and women's aid are working with, with uh, more national organizations on training. I'm not aware of, of any other specialist training at the moment. Y you guys may be. Um, are you aware of any other specialist training on responding to disclosures that maybe I wouldn't be aware of? No, no. I'm, I'm not. Okay. Um, okay. And I, I would agree with you, Neve, that I don't see the uptake. And, you know, it, it's funny in HR, and I've seen this for many years on certain topics. And, you know, when it comes to um, topics like sexual harassment um, domestic abuse and violence, you know, I see people shy away from sharing this content on social media, from even liking our content when we talk about these topics. Maybe people switching off a little bit or maybe not wanting to be associated or identified with it. And I think that's part of the challenge around um, these types of issues being so hidden in our society. Um, and, you know, the conversations not being open or broad enough um, within our communities. And while we have, um, you know, organisations like Amber, like Women's Aid, um, you know, advocating and uh, talking about uh, these issues as much as they can, it needs to spread out into the workplace um, so that there's very real support. So we saw that, uh, the power of discussion around topics like menopause, which heretofore have been hidden within our society. I mean, it's only in the last four years that I myself have learned as much as I now know about menopause. And that is because it was opened up 
as the topic of discussion. Um, and I, I do believe that domestic abuse and violence is one of those topics that we're just not talking enough about. Yes, we're talking about the legislation, the practicalities of the leave, whether it's paid or not, whether you qualify or not, whether it's pro rata or not, if you're a part-time worker, who can get it, how you can get it, you know, how you can access it. But what we're not talking enough about is in the workplace is, you know, do we actually have people in our workplaces um, who are suffering this kind of abuse? Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis and if they are what what can we do as an organization to help and support these people and to open up these conversations so people are not so isolated they're not living in some kind of shame that there it is something that there are people that they can approach outside of um the specialist organizations that are providing those kind of supports. And certainly from my own experience of, of uh, dealing with these kind of issues in the workplace from a HR perspective, um, it's so important that in HR we understand what our role actually is. We're not there to save people. Um, we're there to signpost and to help people access the help and support that they need. Um, and many line managers can get these things wrong um, by being, you know, righteously indignant on behalf of somebody wanting to proactively do more, um, maybe overstepping boundaries, maybe being too intrusive. You know, it's important that managers, designated people, whoever those people might be, and um, HR are fully aware of uh, their role in these circumstances. And, you know, to this day, when I look at, um, you know, the role of a contact support person in an organization, when it comes to dealing with sensitive, tricky subjects, these people still aren't in place in many large organizations um, where they do have the resources to put them in. So my hopes for, you know, identifying designated people within organizations, training them up, having that published and, and you know, up to date, um, I would say it's, it's the few rather than the many that, that have gone that far. Um, and these conversations are important. Um, and, and we in the HR community should be having them because there's there's a power in um, in in bringing these things to light, making them happen within our organisations. And if that can help people, um, that's what you want to do. And Mary, um, if I may, um, you know, beyond the the kind of um, you know, we're talking about the how imperative it, it is for HR to have these conversations. But, you know, from a business, a broader business perspective, like the value of having those conversations is immense. Um, you know, um, and to people who who perhaps have looked at um, domestic violence leave as an additional cost to the business and looked at it only through that viewpoint, I think, you know, they're, they're missing the bigger picture in terms of, you know, um, it's estimated that we, you know, we lost, we're losing 2.7 billion in our economy each year um, as a re direct result of domestic violence and abuse. And the largest proportion of that is through lost income and productivity um, in the workplace. So, you know, the, the business value 
of um you know not having those those dips in productivity you know limiting or mitigating the circumstances of that unscheduled attendance you know which which happens uh, those changes in productivity that, that happen for very understandable reasons for a victim survivor um you know who works outside the home the safety and security aspects you know how that can impact on the workplace and then you know the, the employee retention um, issue as well that comes about. Um, I mean, I saw a very interesting piece of research. It was done a number of years ago uh, by NUIG and, um, you know, where they were uh, working. It was, it was female focused. It was female victim survivors. They were working over a period of, I think, three to four years with um, women who were working outside the home um, um, in the context of it was a domestic abuse uh, study. But, um, you know, they found that over those four years at the end of uh, the, the research period, 50% of the female respondents had left the workplace at that point. And they'd left the workplace because they were forced or coerced to, um, or because the emotional toll of this was just too much for them to deal with and be a, a, a productive employee. So they, they took the decision themselves. So great people, uh, predominantly women, because it is a, ge a heavily gendered issue. I mean, we understand and appreciate men are victims of domestic violence and abuse too. But you are you are looking at a much more heavily gendered, um, uh, you know, uh, it being much more heavily gendered women's issue. But you know, the the great women and men that have been lost to domestic violence and abuse within organisations. So from a HR perspective, you're looking at. Uh, you know, um, you know, career. Uh, sorry, excuse me. Um, employee retention and greater um, upward mobility and career progression for for great people who are just in situations that they none of them chose to be in. You know, um, so the value from HR, but also a business. A, a, broader business perspective of having these conversations is really incalculable. I, yeah, I agree, Neve. Yeah. I, I, I do think it's it's back down to uh, employers understanding uh, the impact that, you know, this can have on an individual, on employees as a whole. Um, and certainly any of the cases where I have been personally involved in in um, supporting somebody in these circumstances, and this is pre pre any legislation or protective leave um, or paid leave being in place. Um, you know, the, these it, it can be harrowing. It can be absolutely harrowing, and you can feel very helpless in terms of what role you as a manager can play here and what supports you as, man, as a manager can put in place. The worst thing in my mind is now that we have the leave in place, people will look to access it. They will look for the time because they will need the time. Um, and the very worst thing that can happen is when they approach their manager, that their manager isn't A, up to speed with their entitlement. And that's often the case, particularly as you get to the smaller organizations, your SMEs and your micro organizations. Um, but also, that, you know, that conversation can go horribly wrong and prevent people coming forward for what they need in the future. Um, and so I think it's really important that the HR community does open up this conversation, doesn't allow it to remain taboo. 
um, and, you know, looks at it through a broader lens of what does an organisation uh, need to do, what it's required by law to do, um, what documentation need to be in place and processes need to be in place and how how do we help people in these circumstances because so often when we have performance issues productivity issues our very next step is a performance improvement plan or a disciplinary process for somebody and you know it it takes quite a bit for somebody to put on the table that there's a mitigating circumstance such as domestic abuse or violence, uh, which is a feature of their lives. And employers also need to know, well, you know, what's our obligation then beyond that? And, you know, how do we support people? How do we signpost people? How do we help people in those circumstances? And what do we do with ongoing performance issues, even when these issues continue to be prevalent? So these are really important discussions that need to be had uh, within the HR community. Definitely. And look, I think there's a lot of things at play here just from, from everything you've both said and even Mary around kind of, I suppose, the retention, the value to the organisation and that sort of things, the value to the employee or the victim survivor that is going through it. And also that kind of significant under-reporting piece, which you'll, you'll know all too, all too much about, I suppose, because we see that word coming up a lot as well and it's horrible to see under-reporting in, in things like this. So I suppose... For those HR teams, employers, it'll be the, the last question. I'll come to both of you far, but I'll come to yourself first, Neve. For those employee employers and HR teams who do, who are saying, right, this might not have been on my to-do list last year when inside HR we're talking about it. It's on my to-do list now, and I want to get it right, and I want to, I suppose, make some positive moves here. Any kind of, I suppose, summarized kind of foundational points that you could say, look, here's here's how to get started, here's what we can do, and here's how you can get it right. Well, I think if you start from a perspective of um, how do I create a disclosure, a disclosure friendly workplace environment, mm -hmm. I think that needs to be the end game. Obviously, you have statutory obligations right now in terms of the administration of, of domestic violence leave. And, and that is the, I suppose, um, immediate priority for any businesses, as Mary said, who are behind the curve or for any HR professionals who are behind the curve. Um, and, you know, um, as I said, the, the guidance is there. Follow the guidance um, uh, in terms of confidentiality, designated persons, being victim led and, and training. But uh, going back to that disclosure friendly workplace environment, that needs to be the, the end game. And um, I think you need to be looking to seek visible senior leadership commitment. Um, and I think the launch of your domestic abuse policy is a great place for that to for that process to start in terms of you have the, the leader of the business um, launching that, uh, you know, making a statement, doing a short video and um, sending something out, you know, on the company intranet, whatever it may be, whatever suits your organization um, to show that, you know, we're launching this policy, there's genuine commitment to opposing domestic violence. We will, you know, uh, we're following the, the um, you know, we're, we're fulfilling our statutory obligations with a domestic violence leave, of course, and that's available to everybody. But, you know, beyond that, we can offer X, Y and Z. Um, and that X, Y and Z, it's looking at to your organization specifically in terms of what are 
um, if you can, what are the range of additional practical support options that you can make available to, to your co-workers? Um, and then it's training, it's training and awareness. We've already spoken um, about the importance of getting your designated people trained on this issue. And, you know, your policy, I mean, I, I did a piece of work with um, with um, uh, AXA recently and the head of HR there was talking about, um, you know, not just um, launching and leaving their domestic abuse policy, but launching and loving it and understanding that it was a, an organic process that would change and continue and grow as the organization's needs changed and continued and grew. So I think looking at your organizational organizational response through those kind of viewpoints, I think is a great starting point. And Mary, you probably have, have more, more points to add to that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I believe just as we have done with other key areas, you know, real life stories from our own people uh, who are supported enough within their workplace to share their stories can be powerful too. Um, and that can only happen with an open culture um, where people are in a safe environment to, you know, stand in front of their peers and, and talk about these real live uh, everyday experiences that bring it to life. You know, if I look to my own uh, life and my friend group and, and the people that I know in my own life, I know of women who are experiencing or have experienced in the past um, domestic abuse and domestic violence. I know of these people already. I think a lot of us do, certainly women, because, you know, it, it, that is where it can be talked about. Um, and so for some, some of our listeners may be experiencing it, we don't know. Um, but the chances are that will be present in uh, people's lives and and there may be perpetrators too who possibly wouldn't listen to it but who knows you know and so from from our perspective as HR people it's um, a policy is no good sitting on the shelf or in a book um, doing nothing other than signposting people to the fact that they can get this paid leave if they're brave enough to come to a manager or come to a designated person um, or come to a colleague and discuss it. Um, otherwise, I don't believe people will be brave enough to come forward to look for this kind of leave. The people that are more likely to do it are those who want to support a friend or a, a, a cohabitee or a, a spouse or, a, you know, in, in some other way, a parent, a child who may want to support somebody. But in order for it to be a powerful policy that has the ability to impact on people's lives, um, what you want is the people who are experiencing this, this kind of abuse to be able to come forward to. Um, and access, you know, this kind of uh, support in the workplace. So um, I would really encourage the open discussion. Do not leave your policy sitting on the shelf. Do not not write one because you're not required to by law. Um, and make sure that your managers, at a minimum, understand 
what their role is in dealing with these matters. It's difficult and it's going to be difficult for a manager to have this conversation. Um, you know, so often we find that managers are avoiding uh, some of these topics. And I always shout out to managers here on this podcast, too, because now we have so many things that we're meant to be skilled and able to talk to the employee body about from menopause to domestic abuse and violence to, uh, you know, all sorts of topics in the workplace. And we are not equipping our managers for these conversations that I'm certain of. Um, And it's so important that we do. But, you know, Mary, just to kind of um, come back to that point there you were making, um, you know, there's no expectation for managers to become experts in domestic violence and abuse. Um, uh, which brings me on to to another part of 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 the conversation, which is, you know, um, to, you know, link in, connect with your local domestic abuse service. If you have concerns, if you have a specific, um, you know, um, case that you want a confidential support or guidance on, um, you know, at minimum, Uh, as a HR professional in relation to domestic violence and abuse, you need to be knowing what's available in your jurisdiction, who is your local domestic abuse service, you know, reach out to them, what kind of supports can they offer? I mean, look, I speak as someone who works for a local domestic abuse service in Kilkenny, Carlo, you know, we're chronically underfunded, you know, usually consequently understaffed, but this is part of our remit, you know, so we would never not, um, you know, take a call or never not uh, speak to a HR professional or an employer who is having difficulty. But at minimum, you need to know, you know, what is available for, uh, you know, for co-workers who, who are victim survivors who come to you looking for support. You know, that boundary is there, that professional boundary. You do not have to be the expert. You do not have to be the support worker, the caseworker. But you need to be able to, with their permission, effectively refer or at, 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 at minimum be able to say, well, look, would you consider speaking to Amber or would you consider perhaps, you know, a a co-worker might prefer to deal with a national organisation. But in terms of practical supports, it is the, you know, in terms of court accompaniment, in terms of outreach, community based work, in terms of practical supports, perhaps refuge that may be available. You know, you are looking at your your local domestic abuse service and the amount of companies that I think and HR professionals are maybe not thinking about that resources there to support them as well. You know, I'd like to take this opportunity to say, and I can certainly speak for myself in Amber, I've taken numerous calls from from HRs in in the southeast, and I've referred some who are more nationally based to Women's Aid to my to my colleague in Women's Aid, Hannah Waite, and we are more than than happy to take those calls and to give that support and guidance, um, and you know uh, to have those you know resources in place in the workplace that you know the helpline numbers, you know what's available, you can you can uh, you know say to an affected coworker, um, you know well these are the uh, supports outside the workplace that may be able to give you more sustained specialist support should you need it and should the employee choose to access it, you know? Definitely. And look, I I love that phrase, don't simply launch it and leave it. So if you do want to do more than launch it and leave it, do obviously feel free to get in touch with with Neve and the team at Amber, Mary and the team here at Inside HR to to help you drive those policies home. So a huge thank you to Mary and Neve for a very practical, enjoyable and important, as we said, discussion. So we really do appreciate your time. Thank you to everyone for listening. 
catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. If you are enjoying these episodes, do please feel free to share them with colleagues, friends, and family. And even better, if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on, we'd really appreciate it. We will also make sure, as this is a sensitive topic, to link in as many resources as we can in the show notes of this episode. So do please feel free to to seek those out um, uh, and click on those if, if you do need support uh, in any shape or form. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insighthr.ie. Thank you, Neve, and thank you, Mary. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Neve. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.